Okay, so we're talking about structured environments versus unstructured environments. So in a structured environment, uh, let's say a school that has a, a resident dorm and a small faculty in a small school. So it could be an independent school, it could be a church, uh, high school dorm uh, situation, um, or even a college <coughs> like Uchi Pines or Heartland or something like that. Um, so in a structured environment, you wake up at a certain time, you go to sleep at a certain time, you uh, go to vespers and morning worship, and, and you know all that uh, is built into your your day, so that you have um, you learn the value of time, and then you also go do physical work and working with plants and things like that, like Ellen White talked about, and all of those things are good. Um, <coughs> so you have that, and then now we're talking about that versus the Wi-Fi experience, the long distance experience. So. Um, I think the long-distance experience is kind of um, uh, meeting people where they're at. Um, not everyone can attend school for various reasons, whether it's cost or distance or geographical difficulties. It's hard to get a visa to come to the United States. Um, or the quality of education is poor around where they live, that sort of thing. So we're transmitting education to them. So inherently, I think it's probably less of uh, of value than it would be to be on campus. Uh, the the advantages are, of course, you know, self-paced and uh, doing it on your own time, and uh, of course, you develop discipline of of uh, studying through. Right now, I'm going through a master's in accounting program, and I have to study on my own, and I have to produce all the material, uh, take the test on my own, and things like that. So, um, for me, uh, it's it's kind of a, a test of will, you know, to 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 be able to do it. But I think the, the resident, um, that's one thing that Harvard actually does not do. Uh, Harvard does not, uh, even in their extension school, it's, it's very limited. They put an enormous value in being in the classroom and sitting there and listening to the professors and debating the students and that sort of thing because they still believe in the old system, which is where you participate in the school life. And uh, in that participation, you end up uh, gaining a better value for for the money or the education that you're putting in and a lot of people look back on their time at Harvard and they say that it was a formative experience for them so clearly um, within the Avenue system uh, this long-distance education aspect or even the the aspect of harnessing technology is uh, something that we need to think about but it is also something that I think we should grow in because <coughs> there are six billion people in this world and we're going to reach seven billion pretty soon and not all of them can attend school at the time that that we all you know would like them to or they would like to and because of that i think Avenus need to create a system where education is is transmitted but at the same time i think we need to be careful to make sure that the ideas and the ideals of Avenus education are maintained uh, despite the the distance and I think part of that uh, is uh, still it comes back to the quality of the instruction being given and the, the environment and the, the tone that the teacher sets for the class. So uh, the importance of making sure that the teacher and the subject being taught is something that uh, students can use and, and find value for. Uh, and I think uh, uh, this, this is something that we, we probably still need to work through quite a bit, but I think if we look at it from a different perspective, the, the distance education aspect is valuable in the sense that, uh, let's say, we keep the, the structure environment, people go get their degree, they go home, uh, they, pick, they pick up work, 
uh, but they want to have continual con- continuing education or uh, you know however however it's done uh, that the idea that they have access to to this distance education it's it's still going to be valuable um, let's say somebody has gotten a, a degree in, in some area like say programming um, but they now want to want to specialize in a spe- specific programming language um, you know not not having to go to to campus for another year or two years but just being able to go through a series of classes and if they have the time if they're not working at the moment and they're trying to get a job in a specific uh, area uh, they could sit through those through those uh, lectures and and do the work and get through it quickly and and still get the education they need the same thing probably that they'll get on campus so i think uh, being able to create this sort of um, nuggets educational nuggets that are available for people to take advantage of is valuable overall how we how we interplay that with the actual experience is probably something that we need to work out over time but but uh, the the value is still there for doing it okay so now let's let's take uh, the la- the rest of this episode to talk about two topics in okay. depth so <coughs> um, one is let's talk about the concerns that people have where they feel like, um, should I be sending my child to an Adventist school where they may be exposed to error? Or should I keep my child at home and send them to a state school and maintain the, the emphasis that I want to maintain in their life uh, spir- for spiritual things? So let's start with that. And then the second topic will be um, regarding the church's attempts to um, maintain its theological integrity. So we'll talk about the International Theological Board and Mission Board um, for accrediting education, Adventist education um, that the GC has set up <coughs> that is kind of controversial in some circles of Adventism. And uh, we'll kind of bring together all the concepts that we've been talking about uh, from the beginning, which is the theology of Adventist education the philosophy of Adventist education, academic freedom, tenure, purpose, uh, non-Adventist versus Adventist, the standards, uh, degrees, um, self-study, long-distance study, all of that uh, put together with the, the, the church's attempt to police, so to speak, uh, its schools. So <coughs> let's start out with uh, the parents' concerns. So should a parent um, m- keep their kid at home and send them to a state school and maintain the the control and the the emphasis on on the the child's life, or should they send them to an Adventist school? Now, this is something that was personal to me because when I was growing up, my parents moved from our college, which is the only college that we had in Pakistan, to another city where my dad uh, joined the union, <coughs> the conference, and then the union, and so. Um, he, uh, his job took us away from the school and it took me away from, from my friends that I had known for the last five years. I was in the fifth grade at the time. And then I got into, when I went to other schools, outside schools, which were still Christian, um, we ran into Sabbath problems. And um, so I would attend school up till from Monday through Friday and then would miss Saturday and then show up on Monday and get beaten by the teacher for not showing up on Saturday. And then we would explain to the, the school principal, my dad would come in on Tuesday, and I would be out of school by Wednesday. 
So, uh, you know, it was just like a constant uh, cycle for a while until we found a school that actually worked. And then we used that, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I continued in my education. But <coughs> the reason my parents did not send me back to the Adventist school to continue my education was that they were concerned about the teachers and the influence that those teachers would have on me. And especially the, the, the hostel deans and, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, so it, it really is a concern for, for parents. And I know, Mike, you went to uh, communist schools um, yeah. when, you were, when you were growing up. So there is this, uh, this tension. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the, the, there's two questions here. Um, should the parents send their students to Adventist schools? And the other question is, will they? In other words, um, whether we think they should or not, parents are going to do what they think is best, and uh, those decisions affect our schools in the sense that it, it will either increase or decrease enrollment, and um, the schools will have to adapt accordingly. So um, I, I think, a l a like we were saying earlier, we probably need to think about whether what to do about the schools to make them the kind of places where parents do want to send their kids um, as opposed to spending a lot of time trying to guilt trip parents into se sending kids where they don't think their kids should go. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, a two-part thing. I think that, that uh, if, we, if we were to go with Spirit of Prophecy's guidance, I think that the responsibility of bringing up the child, um, like the Bible says, so that they will not depart when they're old they will not depart from the faith um, is something that is that only the parents can do and I've always and I've, I've believed this very strongly because when I was growing up I absolutely by the fifth grade if not earlier I had to know why I believed what I believed and uh, it mattered a great deal to me to believe to find out what I believed because I was suffering for it uh, in one way or another and so um, there was a certain aspect of I Adventist identity that my parents put into me uh, at a very young age to where I understood my purpose in life. And I understood why, um, why I was the way I was in terms of my faith and my reality and my concept of reality and things like that. And um, so <coughs> that was done at a very early age. And I've never uh, diverted from that, from that path. But I find so many of my friends that at the age of 18, uh, 22, 26, 30, and even beyond have never quite found their source of identity uh, in the Adventist church. And as a result, they, um, they kind of uh, never quite settle into the truth. And I think um, part of it has to do with your personal will and your desire to, do, to follow what God is teaching. But part of it also has to do with your, your parents and what, they, what they're teaching you. So the responsibility really rests on the parents. And Mrs. White talks about this at great lengths. I mean, if you read Child Guidance, she talks about the, the importance of the mother and informing the character and the destiny of the children. Uh, she talks about the importance of the father and uh, his mold on the character of the children. So there is this, there's this aspect that, that parents should do. But I believe that influence is to be done early in life. For example, Moses. He knew by the age of 12 who he really was. So when he left for the courts of Egypt, 
he never in any sense diverted from his uh, entire mission in life. Yes, he made mistakes, but he never diverted uh, from that mission. The same thing with Jesus and with Daniel and his three friends and uh, Joseph and others in history. Um, they did the same thing. Samuel at age three, uh, his mother taught him to, to follow the directions of Eli the priest and nobody else. That's what Mrs. White says. And so um, these young people and their parents that taught them uh, instilled in those, in those children a sense of their identity and their purpose to the point where they um, never diverted from that path. And I think that is something that is lacking in our church today. And because of that, it is having a profound effect on our education. So when parents, uh, when, you know, the kid is 18 years old and the parents are trying to decide where they should go to school, I think that's a little too late. Although, kudos for trying, it's, it's late then to try to instill in, uh, the Adventist identity into the, into the child. It should have been done earlier. Uh, any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, basically, um, a child at that age should be able to to stay within the direction they were going before, regardless of what experience they have at uh, at college or university. Yeah, it sounds heartless, but um, <coughs> for me, if at the age of eighteen you don't know who you are and why you exist, then I have no mercy for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's one of those things. Yeah. But uh, but still, obviously. Uh, we do have to care for people, and if they haven't found their their source of uh, purpose and identity, and you know that sort of th- stuff, uh, Adventist education can do a tremendous work in helping to get there if the teachers are consecrated and are working to that. And I believe many of our teachers in our system are consecrated, and and it it, um, it is incumbent upon the student to find those sources for for encouragement at yeah. the school. Yeah. Okay, so switching topics now for for the theological, the International Theological Mission Accreditation Board that the GC has set up. Now, this is something that has been fought um, against by many of our institutions, especially in the North American Division, uh, on the grounds of academic freedom. And what they say is that our schools, what the universities say is that our schools need to be free to pursue independent lines of thought without any interference from the the general conference um, affecting uh, or regulating uh, what is being taught in the in the classroom. Uh, any thoughts on that? <coughs> yeah, I think I think it goes along with what we talked in previous episodes. Ba- basically, um, uh, picture a, picture a sweater where you pull on a thread, and then s- slowly everything starts coming apart. Um, it's it's kind of like that the way our entire system works, starting from our theology or our soteriology or ecclesiology, the the whole system of our the way we do things. Um, basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to educate people to accomplish a certain mission. If the education is of such a nature that it conflicts with that mission, then the mission doesn't get done. And go and ahead. Yeah, and the, and the flip side of that is that our theology also implies accountability. So part of the administration's job is to make sure that standards are maintained and that accountability yeah. uh, principles and procedures are in place so that our schools produce the, the, the types of thinkers and uh, um, people that, that uh, the church needs to accomplish this mission on earth. Yeah, yeah so, <coughs> so we have the situation that we were talking earlier about where different people within the structure have taken different views of what, what uh, Christianity is all about, what the role of the church should be, 
but that conflicts with the actual vision of the church for what it's meant to be doing in the world. So you have this uh, this conflict, and um, yeah. So I think this idea of of open um, what did you call it academic freedom and so on works well in a secular setting, but um, if you exist as an organization for the purpose of accomplishing a mission and the people that you're training to perform that mission or to educate others to perform that mission, if those people are being trained in such a way that conflicts with your mission, then you're working against yourself. So again, at some point, either you you discard the mission altogether and, and just give up on that because maybe it just wasn't the right mission, or you find a way to fix the system because you're I mean, essentially, it's, it's you know, like, say you have a basketball team and you're trying to win the, or whatever sports team, you're trying to win the, the World Cup or the NBA or the Super Bowl, whatever, but the people training your players, they're training them to to uh, maybe go in the wrong direction or to to play their parts in a way that just doesn't work with the rest of the players. So however that's done... Usually in, in the sports world, the coach gets fired and they get replaced with somebody that's going to win the game. So in, it's the same thing here. You know, if we have a purpose, um, we need to figure out a way to, to do things so that we actually get a, our purpose accomplished. Yeah. So <coughs> uh, just making a, a comment about uh, research again, the way the way research works, the, the, the business model of research, the way it works is that professors do research and they find you know they find significant findings which makes them famous which allows them to access more funding for research which then fuels their labs on the campus and then the the secular campus has uh sports teams and and large endowments and things like that where the alumni contribute to where the the university continues its self-perpetuating existence our schools are not built on that model our schools are built on the model where the church supplies the the money and the education, uh, and and so on and so forth. So, um, our our goal is is not so much to find new stuff; it's more to train thinkers, um, so they can go out in the world and find the stuff they need. So, not as uh, it's probably not as articulate as I could be if I wrote it out, but that's that's kind of uh, a part of our model. Now, in closing, um, let me, let me say something yeah. here because uh, <coughs> I wanna I wanna show that. Even though there's certain parameters within our model that restrict, um, you know, where a person can go or should go with their theology or with their research or whatever, there's a lot of leeway within those parameters. Uh, for example, we're we're a church that is trying to reach the world, and the world um, has to do with many different worldviews. Whether you go, you know. You go to to Asia where there's Buddhist thinkers and, and Hindu thinkers and Muslim thinkers and and this perspective affect everything about how they view life and how they um, receive information and how they process it. And as a church, if we're supposed to reach them, we need people within our system that can think through this and, and break down, deconstruct that entire f- uh, framework of thought and come to its very basis and then rebuild it in a way where we can communicate our, our message uh, in a way that makes sense to them. So there's a lot of work to do, a lot of research, a lot of thinking that needs to be done. And so a lot, like we said before, people might go in a certain direction and realize it's just not going to work out. Uh, that's, that's as far as different worldviews. There's also 
uh, different scales of society. We need to find ways to reach the highest ranks of society. People, people, highly educated people coming from different perspectives, and we need to find ways to communicate with them. We need to find ways to to reach the the scientists with their evolutionary framework. Find a way to make our message make sense in that. So, so there's a lot of freedom and a lot of a, a broad area of research, as long as it falls within the parameters of what we're trying to get. If it doesn't, then we're actually working against ourselves, and we're just making our own work harder. Yeah. <coughs> so, in closing, um, if I may, I'd like to, I'd like to bring up uh, yet another um, aspect of of uh, my personal life. Um, most of my education has been in secular schools, um, beyond the first five grades and then the last two grades of high school, um, and maybe a year at, at uh, an Adventist college or so. Um, <coughs> most of my education has been in secular institutions. And I've learned anatomy from you know an atheist uh, biology professor who was excellent in his teaching. I've learned uh, physics from uh, atheist, agnostic professors, um, and things like that, um, and subjects like that. And the thing is, I can enjoy uh, quantum physics, I can enjoy theoretical physics, I can enjoy the discoveries of science, and I can revel in the discoveries <coughs> in the technology and things like that um, without losing my framework. Because from the beginning, um, my parents took the time to explain to me the reality of the world and the fact that our knowledge is always going to be incomplete on this earth and that God has something better for us and um, we are working towards that goal. And our entire purpose of our denomination and our existence is to cut short world history so that we can enter the next history or the next uh, you know, eternity. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is our solution for, for the world's problems. And so staying on Earth and creating more uh, technological advances and better ways of purifying water or whatever, you know, however good those things are and should be done and maybe should be done by us as well, they're subservient or secondary to our primary goal, which is the proclamation of the three angels' messages and the hastening of Christ's return. Mm. So the entire goal of education from the beginning in the Adventist Church has been to mold and shape minds and characters for eternity and uh, preparing people, like we said, for the here and the hereafter. Yeah, yeah. Okay, with that thought, let's close this episode and we'll come back with uh, uh, more on this in, a, in another episode. <laughs>